Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, just on behalf of organizations who will uh, be receiving your gifts, let me just for everybody say thank you so much. Um, because of your giving, it allows ministries like Grace Fellowship International and all of the other ministries to, to function and to do things without the, uh, the added stress of trying to raise money. And so uh, I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, but let me, let me start with this, because sometimes people will say, Mark, what do you do at Grace Fellowship? And here's what I say. Everyone struggles with fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and all sorts of emotional issues. But what if I told you that you could exchange that life for a life of victory? Anybody in the room interested? That's what we do. How do we do that? We want to guide people into complete and victorious identity in Christ. We do that, uh, first off, by doing what we call exchanged life counseling. And, and in that counseling, as, as your pastor said, we've been doing that free of charge since 1970. And in essence, what exchanged life uh, is looking like, because we didn't coin that term. In fact, you can read all about it with a man named Watchman Nee, Hudson Taylor. But the idea is that we want to help you to learn how to exchange your life, your self-life, or what the Bible would call the flesh. Let me, identify, let me uh, define that. The flesh is you doing what you want, when you want, and how you want. It is you acting independently of God. So what we want to do in counseling is help you to see, hey, why don't you exchange this life that's not working for one that does? Why don't you exchange a life that, let's be honest, if you could fix it, you already would, for Christ's life. In fact, I'll just say this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 ends by saying, you have the mind of Christ. So can I ask a question? If you have the mind of Christ, why would you ever use yours? I mean, have you ever caught yourself in a predicament and you've been trying to figure it out and the more you think, the more frustrated you become? And so what we want to do is help people to learn how to exchange that because when Christ is your life, and by the way, he is, and you're blessed here, by the way. You're, you're blessed here at, at Calvary Baptist Church to have a pastor who preaches the exchange life because here's what a lot of people do in churches. In fact, it's going to happen all over our city is people are going to preach a very biblical sermon. Just so I want to make sure, you, I want you to hear me. They're going to preach a very biblical sermon, but then they're going to leave it on you to go do it. And that's frustrating. Because what the pastor needs to remind you of is that the power that raised the dead, Romans 8, is in you. So that the power to do what the word calls you to do is not you doing it, but it's what's in you, and that's Christ. Because you see, I grew up in a church where I was taught that Jesus was my Lord and Savior, but no one ever told me that he was my life. And, and that changes everything. When you realize that Jesus is my Lord, he is my Savior, but he's my very life. No one ever told me that I have the same amount of Holy Spirit as my pastor did. Has anybody ever told you that? Because I think sometimes we tend to think that, like, all right, Pastor Dan's got the most amount of Holy Spirit, and then Kevin, and then the deacons, or the elders, then the Sunday school teachers, and then you're like at the very bottom. And that's not biblical. 
We all have the same amount of Holy Spirit. And so that's what we want to help people to understand. We, we teach in, in our uh, counseling, what does it mean that it wasn't just that Christ was crucified for me, but I also was crucified. That's what Paul writes. That I was crucified, that I was buried, so that that old man of flesh that always wants me to act independently of God has no power over me anymore. I'm a new creation. That's so important. But yet so now powerful that we understand that the church is teaching us, well, what does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? What does a new creation look like? How does a new creation speak? How does two people who are new in Christ live together in marriage or parent their kids? And that's what our counseling is all about. For those of you that may say, well, I don't really need counseling. We also do life coaching and to help people. And then we also do equipping. And in this equipping, uh, we have books. In fact, I brought uh, some free materials that are just right uh, right here in the middle. Uh, you can take as many of them as you want. They're all free. Uh, but we do seminars where we have a whole day where we, all we do is teach on the exchange life. Uh, a workshop that we do actually starting tomorrow where we teach people how to uh, counsel people uh, in an effective way. We have a podcast called Glimpses of Grace uh, where myself and, and our counseling director, Dr. John Woodward, uh, for about 30 minutes tackle some of these. So, for example, if you're like, I really wish you would tell us what it means that I was crucified with Christ, uh, go download uh, the uh, uh, Glimpses of Grace uh, on the Apple Store, Amazon, wherever, and that's episode 6. Um, but here's what I want to do for the time that I have. Uh, if you want to know more about the ministry, I'll be here Wednesday, and I'd love to share it with you, or after church. But if you have a Bible, I want you to go with me to John 10.10. 10. Because when I said at the beginning that we want to guide people into complete and victorious identity in Christ, here's what a lot of people will say to me. I don't really feel victorious. In fact, here's what I say to people all the time. I'll ask you. Jesus' life, eternal, victorious, and abundant. Agree or disagree? You, you, can, you can participate. Okay, thanks. Two of us, me and you. Awesome. All right. But then here's the one, and you don't have, you don't have to speak on this one because I know you're not going to want to. Your life, eternal, vict, eternal, victorious, and abundant, agree or disagree? That's the same answer. But yet you say, but Mark, I don't really feel like I'm living a victorious life. Well, John chapter 10, verse 10, it's going to come on the screen. It's a verse that we know, and I think all of us agree with the first part. But we really wish the second part were true, and I just want to show you today that it is. And so, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief, <clears throat> excuse me, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We all agree with that, right? But then notice what the last part says. And, and he says, I came, this is Jesus talking, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, if I were to ask you, how many of you would describe your life this morning as abundant? Raise your hand. But the truth is, is that you have abundant life. There's two things that are keeping you from really seeing it. The first one is rejection. Dan mentioned our founder, Dr. Charles Solomon. He wrote a book years ago called The Ins and Out of Rejection. Ins, plural, because there's many ways to be rejected. Only one way out, and that's acceptance. But rejection, he defined as the lack of meaningful love. 
Now, in that, we could talk about this idea of belonging. We could talk about competence. We could talk about, uh, you, you know, uh, worth. But really, there's two things that I believe everybody in the room needs. And if you're not receiving this, you're going to feel rejected in some sort of way. One of them is security. Who am I? Because every one of us in the room, we need to know, am I loved? Am I cared for? Am I understood? Am I needed? Am I missed when I'm not here? But the other one is significance. That's speaking about what I do. And think about it. All of us have this thought. Is what I'm doing important? Is what I'm doing making an impact? Is what I'm doing needed? It's the whole idea of what am I here for? And the reason this is important is because everybody in the room has suffered rejection. Some of you have had rejection because you've actually had someone make a statement, something like this, I do not love you anymore. That's rejection. Some of you have gone through, uh, you know, the death of a parent, the death of a child, the death of a friend. That's rejection. And the reason it's so important is because for some of us, that rejection has made us feel like we are no longer worthy. It has made us feel like, you know, or, or made us, you know, really build up this isolation, build up these walls. You've heard the people say, you know, I keep everybody at a what? An arm's length distance. Why? Because the last time I let someone in, they hurt me. In fact, two weeks ago, I was in Cleveland Ohio and I got done speaking and this guy came up to me and he said you were talking about rejection He said I can remember everything. I remember what I was wearing. I remember what my dad was wearing I remember the smells of the house when I was 14 years old My dad with his black bag was walking out leaving my mother He stepped back inside and turned around and pointed right at me and he said you're now the man of the house Make sure you take care of your mom and he said mark. I've been taking care of everybody ever since now, here's the sad part. He said, I just got divorced after 21 years. But you know what he said? For the entire 21 years, I felt like she had one foot out the door. And so I said to him, is it true that she had one foot out the door? Or is it because of the hurt of your rejection, you always assumed she had one foot out the door? Because everybody that's been in your life that you love have, has left you. Your dad walked out on you. Your mother died. And then because of that, now your wife, you've kept her at this. Because let's be honest, it's easier if someone leaves me when they're this far away from me than if you're close. And rejection is making us feel like we can't have victory. One of the things I say, especially in life coaching, is we've got to live fact over emotion. The fact is the word of God. It's the truth. This is what the Bible says. Emotions, this is how I feel. And, and, and when you hear that, and I'm not saying you can't express emotion or you can't have emotion. But what I am saying is that for far too many of us, we allow our emotions to drive our behavior. And therefore, we forget about the truth. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Colossians 2.10 says that if you're in the room and you are, or if you're watching online, if, if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, the Bible says, Colossians 2.10, that you're complete. Now, when I say that, how many of you in your mind are like, oh, I'm not complete. I said something, thought something, or did something that made me incomplete. In fact, I did it this morning before I even got to church. Well, 
What you said, what you thought, what you did is real, but it's not the truth. Because the truth is what the Bible says, not in how you feel. And so rejection is causing us not to feel victorious. Let me give you one more, and then I want to show you something. The next one is a false identity. Because we don't know who we are, we tend to not feel like we're living in victory. In fact, if you have a Bible, I'm not going to read it, but you can go there later. Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, Jesus has taken the disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Do you remember the story? Now, Caesarea Philippi is a very, very wicked place. But it is there that Jesus asked the disciples a very important question. Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, go back and read this. I love this question because Jesus answers the question with the question, right? Like, Jesus doesn't say, hey, who do people say that I am? He says, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, that's the answer, am? And what do the disciples, how do they answer first? Do you remember? They answer based on what they've heard. Oh, some say that you're Elijah, some say you're this, some say you're that. Here's the problem. A lot of people are living their life based on an identity that someone else gave them. Or, even worse, you're living your life based on descriptors, and descriptors are never meant to identify you. For example, Mark, who are you? Oh, I'm a dad. In fact, I have my youngest of five kids with me today. Uh, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm an executive director. I'm a lover of of Tennessee and and sometimes a hater, uh, depending on, you know, what the game is and what's going on. It fluctuates all the time. Uh, Maybe every other place sometimes I feel like, uh, but that's a different sermon. But but here's the thing. That's not who I am. That just describes a little bit about me. And so for a lot of us, you're living with an invisible name tag that was given to you by someone else. And maybe that might say broken, damaged, not good enough, can't finish anything, lazy. But you can't allow people to tell you who you are. You can't let them tell you that you're great either. But then Jesus says this, he says, well, what about you? Who, who do you say that I am? Right? And it's Peter that says, oh, you're, you're, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. See, I want to caution you to not have your identity based about what you say, because many times what you say isn't positive but negative. In fact, the National Science Foundation states that you and I have about twelve to 50,000 thoughts a day. And 80% of them are negative. Think about it. Like most of the time, we're not walking around saying, man, I am such an amazing guy. Like I'm killing it today. I'm doing so well. In fact, I should probably write a book about just this day. No, we never do that. We're always putting ourselves down or we're always looking and being like, I look terrible. I feel terrible. But I want you to understand that your identity is not based on popularity, it's not based on potential, it's not based on possessions. You are who Christ says you are. And if, you, and if, if, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this passage. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Because if you would love to have a snapshot of who you are, I want you to read what Paul says about you in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And there's five of them, very quickly. 
The first one is, in verse 1, he says, you're a saint. Didn't think that would get an amen, but that would have been a great place for one. You're a saint. Now, here's what people say. Well, that sounds self-righteous. Well, it sounds self-righteous if you say it, but he said it. Your father said it. This is what Jesus says about you. You are a saint. Now, you're going to say to me, well, I'm not a saint. I don't do saintly things, which my rebuttal is going to be, what are saintly things? And then what we're going to deduct is this, works. But are we saved by works? No. Are we kept by works? No. So this is what Jesus says. You are a saint. Now, you got to be careful. And if this has happened here recently, I'm sorry, I don't want to offend you, but i got to tell you the truth. Because a lot of times in the Baptist world, here's what people do. They'll get up like, hey, my name is Mark. Do not amen this one. And they'll say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And somebody will be like, amen. Well, that's a terrible identity. In fact, if someone comes up and says, my name is so-and-so and I'm a sinner saved by grace, somebody should yell out, no, you're not, you're a saint. I'll tell you why it's important. What do builders do? Build, right? Painters, paint. What do sinners do? They sin. But that's not who you are anymore. Now listen, you're not perfect, and you're not going to be perfect. That would be great, right? But that's not the truth. You and I are, we sin, but a sinner saved by grace describes who I once was and what happened to me. I was a sinner, and by the grace of God, I have been saved, but I am now a saint who sometimes sins. But when I sin, it goes against the nature of this new identity that I have in Christ. The second one, verse 3, says that you're blessed with every spiritual blessing, which just means you lack nothing. No one in the room can say, man, if I just had more grace or more mercy, you have it all because you have Christ in you. He's your life. Verse 4 says you're chosen before the foundations of the world. Here's what that means. You're a number one draft pick. God didn't settle for you. He chose you. And before you could do anything to think you earned it or discredited yourself, God had already chosen you. In verse 5, he talks about how you're adopted, which really is just talking about security. And then... This is the big one, Ephesians 1, 6, and this is the last one, says, you are accepted in the beloved. Remember I said that rejection is one of the ways that's leading us to not believe that we have victory. How do we overcome the rejections of our life by receiving the acceptance that we have in Christ? Now, for some of you, you're like, Mark, great, but I still don't feel victory. So in the couple of minutes that I have left, I want to I show you um, a, a diagram that we use at Grace Fellowship. It's called uh, the wheel diagram. And uh, it was, it was uh, designed by uh, Dr. Solomon. And, and really this idea, you can see there, the spirit, the soul, the body. And the idea is that you and I are spirit beings, right? We have a soul. We live in a body, right, in our earth suit. And, and so if this was a counseling session, I would start and I would say, hey, let's talk about salvation. Tell me your testimony. And the reason we start there is because... If Christ isn't your Lord and Savior, you can never have victory. So I want to tell you that right now. So if you're here today or you're watching this and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then this idea of having victory is foreign to you and it will be foreign to you until you give your life to Jesus because he's everything. 
And so we're going to talk about that, right? How we're saved by grace through faith. But then if you notice these next two words, assurance and security. It's not just that I am saved, but I have assurance of that salvation. Not only today, but for all of my tomorrows. Meaning that the assurance I have today, if the world ends or my life ends, I want to tell you right now, I am going to heaven when I die. No doubt about it. Because I have assurance of that. Colossians 3.3 talks about how your life is hidden with Christ. Well, that's pretty good, right? If your life is hidden with Christ, that, there's really no more assurance you need. But security is great because what security says is that I'm never going to get kicked out of the family of God. In fact, verse 4 of that Colossians 3 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, guess who's coming back with him? We are. But then you notice... Here's that word again, acceptance, right? That Ephesians 1, 6, that we're accepted in the beloved. And notice that it's in our spirit because the only way to overcome the rejections that have happened within our soul, which is where our emotions are, and in our body, is to receive this acceptance that we can only get through Christ. By the way, guys, this is why so many people are struggling with so many things. It's because they're trying to overcome the rejections of their life with, with other relationships or with substances or with living in the fantasy world of Netflix or whatever that may be. But you're never going to find it in any one person or any other thing other than Jesus. And then, of course, you see their identity. But the next slide, I, I want to show you this because th this is when it really gets interesting. Because now you see that in our soul, and, and in the soul part of us, this is where our mind and our will and our emotions are located. Now, well, I want to give you just a, um, uh, an illustration to help make this come alive. So let's say tomorrow, all right, and in, in you're, uh, you're, you're, you're at your job, and it's 4.59, and the boss comes in, and, and I mean, he's, he's pretty abrupt, and he comes in, and he says, I want to see you first thing in the morning, and shuts your door pretty hard, and just walks straight out to his car. Now, is anybody in the room other than me thinking, oh my goodness? Anybody else? Like, if my boss comes in at 4.59, I'm really going to be worried, because my, my boss, the chairman of the board, is... Uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. So if he comes tomorrow, I'm, I'm really going to be nervous. But just think about it, right? So what do you immediately do? Do you see that word worry? Immediately when issues in your life happen, one of the first things that usually happens is worry, right? Because notice that problems of life, whether that be rejection or family, money, work, those frustrations, notice, are outside of the wheel. Right? So remember, or I should say, I didn't say, but the spirit side of you is how you relate to God. The soul is how you relate to others. It's your mind, your will, your emotions. The body is how you relate to the world. But these problems are outside of you. You don't have control over them. So the boss has come in and he wants to meet with you and now you're worrying. Like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Like, why does he want to meet with me first thing in the morning? Am I, am, oh, am I getting fired? Now you start fearing. Right? And, and then you start having doubts. Like, is this even the right job for me? I mean, it, it, do, do I even, like, I don't even know if this is what I need to do. I'm not even sure if this is what I want to do. And by the way, this worry and doubt and fear has created within you this, this emotional tornado. And your boss hasn't even got to the car and started it up yet. Anybody else ever dealt with that before? 
Well, then, the more you think about it, right, now you start having feelings of inferiority, insecurities, inadequacies. Man, I, I'm, I'm not good enough, right? They're, 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 they're going to fire me and bring someone else better than me. And this is how this can play out a lot because you're driving home and you're trying to figure out how to explain to your wife that your boss wants to meet with you without making her nervous as well. And so you're like, just be cool, just be cool, just be cool, just be cool. And then you walk in and she's like, how was your day, honey? You're like, fine. And she's like, well, evidently it must not have been fine because you just bit my head off. No, it didn't. Right? Anybody else have this? You're, you're, and it always seems like that's the night that the kids spill something at the dinner table. You're trying to hold it in. You're just trying. To, you're just like, I'm just trying to get to bedtime. And this is like 541. And then, you know, they spill something and then you just explode. You're like, why? Why? I need to know why. Because for me, when I spill something, I just want you to get a towel and help me clean it up. When you spill something, I want to know why. Well, there's a reason why, and there's a reason why you don't feel victorious. It's because you're in the way. In fact, if you notice there, that heart that's in the middle of the circle, I say is the center of a person. It's the lens by which you view all of life. And remember, we talked about this being an exchanged life. And the exchange is, is taking that S, which represents you. You could put your name there. Or you could put anything. You could put a hobby. You could put, you know, in anything. But basically for today, we're going to say it's you. It's when you're trying to act independently of God and doing what you want, when you want, how you want. Now notice there's a C in the circle too because you're going to go to heaven when you die. Right? We, we talked about salvation. You, 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 you've prayed and asked Christ to be in your life. He's just not been placed in the center of your life. He's not the lens by which you're viewing everything that's happening. And so because of that, no matter if it's good or bad, what you're looking at, the frustrations, is by your own limited power. And then when you keep doing that for so long, look what comes out. The red line there is going to be a hostile reaction. In fact, here's what I say to people all the time. You're either going to blow up or clam up when these issues come if you're in the center of your own life. The blowing up is going to be an attitude. It's going to be an action. It's going to be abuse. But the clamming up is going to happen in one of two ways. You can see there the mind or the emotions. I'll just give you one in the mind. Fantasy is the clamming up, and that's the person that leaves that and goes home and spends the next nine to ten hours in Netflix. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with watching a movie. There's nothing wrong. But if you're running to Netflix... In order to find comfort, it's sin. If you're running to anything other than Jesus for comfort, it's sin. We clam up in our minds. For some people, we clam up in our emotions. That's where depression and anxiety stem from. Now, here's the truth. And I think the next slide might talk about how this is going to affect our body. Uh, I bet some of you could find some of those that are part of your life. Tension, headaches, nervous stomach. Hives, rashes, asthma, uh, you know, um, impulsive eating, that was mine. Um, you know, fatigue, some people sleep all the time, some people can't sleep at all. In fact, I asked my doctor when I was there not too long ago, I said, hey doc, um, 
you know, here's a statistic that I've always heard. Will you confirm it? Is it true or not true? He said, Mark, 50% of the people who come to see me have an ailment that started psychologically. So you have something going on in your stomach, but it doesn't come because your body was out of whack. It comes because your body's out of whack because your soul is out of whack. It started with stress. And you not understanding how to overcome that stress, now it has manifested itself now in something that's happening in your body. Now remember at the beginning I said everyone struggles. But what if I could show you how to exchange that life for a life of victory? You interested? And there was two of us that were. So I'm going to show you what that looks like with this final slide. If the center, if that heart is the center of your life and it's the lens by which you view everything, then Christ has got to go from the periphery of your life to the center. Well, if Christ goes to the center of your life, then what are you going to do with that S? What are you going to do with your flesh? What are you going to do with that self-life? Well, you have to reckon that it has already been crucified. Right? By the way, this is Galatians 2.20. Let's throw that up. I know that... Uh, Dan mentioned that, right? And here, here's what it says, right? I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But notice this. The life that I'm living right now, right? In the flesh. Now, this is the body part of me. He says, I live by what? Let's say it together. By what? By faith. But faith in what? Not faith in faith. No, faith is only as powerful as the object that we're placing our faith on and in. Who is our faith in? The Son of God, Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, let's go back to that one slide. I used the word reckon. Now, in the South, that's a fun word to say. When I was up North, you have to explain that word, right? Because if I say, hey, where you guys, what are y'all going to do after church? Somebody might say, I don't know, I reckon I'll go get some lunch. And we understand that. But when I was uh, up in Cleveland or a couple of months ago when I was in South Africa, people were like, what? What are you saying? How do you spell that? The word reckon comes from Romans chapter 6, verse 11, which is the first command in the book of Romans. And Romans 6.11 says that we need to likewise reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive unto God. And this idea of reckon is an accounting term that means to calculate up the cost. Right? And the idea is that you and I trust this to be true for us personally. It's not just true for your pastor because he's a pastor or true for your elders because they're in leadership. It's true for you if you are in Christ. And so I reckon, right, because notice what was said there in Galatians 2.20, that I was crucified with Christ. It wasn't just that Christ was crucified, I was crucified with him, spiritually speaking. When he was buried, I was buried. That old man, meaning the old one that was alienated from God, an enemy to God, and accountable to sin. And now I have been raised. I, when he was resurrected, I was resurrected. And so were you. And we're new creations. We're powerful. And because Christ is my life, what's true of him is true of me. So when his life is, we say, eternal, victorious, and abundant, that means mine is too. And, and, and this is how you can live in daily victory, is you have to reckon, you have to trust that this old man is no longer the power source of your life. I, I like to tell people this. 
Your flesh is sort of like a zombie. You guys know what zombies are, right? The zombie came in, right? Some of the older people, they, they may not make it, but like we're, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get there because they, they, they may try to do all this stuff, but we know you've got you to gotta hit it in the head, right? Well, you know what the Bible says? You have to renew your mind. See, for some of you, you've been living so long with you in the center that you've forgotten what victory really is. Victory is not in spite of circumstances. Victory can come in the midst of circumstances because you realize that victory is a person. It's Jesus, and he's in me. And it's so important that we understand that. Because now look what happens in the soul. When Christ is in the center, I don't have all of this worries and fears and doubts. Because remember when the boss, he wants to see you first thing in the morning, right? But do you know what you forgot? Tuesday's your birthday. Your boss is having a bad day, but he wanted to make sure he gets you first thing in the morning because he wants to take you out for breakfast for your birthday. But you've come in when you're in the center and you've got a resignation letter written because you're so prideful that he, you will not be fired, you'll quit. And how sad is that as some of us, and this is spiritually speaking, some of us are, are we're having coffee with our boss who's praising us for a job well done with a resignation letter in our pocket because we were trying to be in control of a situation that we never had any right to be in control of in the first place. And that's my prayer. And that's what Grace Fellowship is all about. Right? Now I have his mind, his peace, his strength, his resources. I have joy. I said to you just a, a second ago, and I'm, I'll be done. First Corinthians 2.16 ends by saying you have the mind of Christ. And so if you have the mind of Christ, why would you ever use yours? If you have the mind of Christ, you have his wisdom. But every day you have to remind yourself and trust in this truth. That this old man who still speaks to me as if he's alive, he's just a zombie trying to destroy me. He has no power over me. The power is Christ in me. And the reason I want to end with that is because, again, so many people are going to preach the truth today. And they're going to say, you're secured in Christ and saved in Christ and blessed in Christ. And that is 1,000% true. But what we want to say is don't forget the rest of the story. You are in Christ, but he is also in you. Both of them are true. And that is the way to live in victory. I want to close with this. We um, have a prayer that we sometimes lead people through. We're going to put it on the screen. And I'm, I'm going to read this prayer. And, and I, I want to invite you to not read it out loud. I just want you to think about it. Because I think there might be somebody in the room that says, you know what, Mark, there's, there, there's something within me that's a chord that's striking within me that just says, man, I feel like the will that best describes me is the one that has S in the center. And it just seems like every time something's happening, man, I, I, I just, I get so emotional, I get so frustrated, I lose my cool, and then I get so mad at myself for doing that, I feel guilty. Well, that's because you're in the center. And you might say, but I, 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 don't, I don't want to be in the center anymore. I want Christ to be in the center. And so Dr. Solomon 
wrote this prayer. It's called the Selfer's Prayer. And it just says, and maybe this is going to be a prayer that somebody's going to pray today. I hereby surrender everything that I am and have and ever will be. I take my hands off of my life and release every relationship to you, every habit, every goal, my health, my wealth, and everything that means anything. I surrender it all to you, and by faith I take my place at the cross, believing that when the Lord Jesus was crucified according to your word, I was crucified with him. When he was buried, I was buried. When he was raised from the dead, I was raised with him. So I deny myself the right to rule and reign in my own life and take up the cross and believe that I was raised from the dead and seated at your right hand. I thank you for saving me from my sins and myself. And from this moment on, I'm trusting you to live your life in me and through me to do what I can't do and quit what I can't quit and start what I can't start that you might receive all the glory. I thank you now by faith for accepting me in the Lord Jesus, for giving me your grace, your freedom, your joy, your victory, your righteousness as my inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. So even if I don't feel anything, right, there we are, I know that your word is true. Counting on, I am counting on your spirit to do what your word says to set me free from myself. That your resurrection life may be lived out through me and that you may receive all the glory. I thank you and praise you for the victory right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I pray with you if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes? Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. And I, I just want to give you a moment to respond because maybe that may be a prayer that you want to pray. And if you want more information, as I said, there's some free materials right out back. I'll be out there. I'd love to speak to you. But you can live a life of victory every single day in Christ. And I want you to know you're a saint. You're blessed. You are chosen. God did not settle for you. You're adopted. You're secured. You're accepted in the beloved. And Holy Spirit, I pray that truth. It's your word over every ear that can hear. There's an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But I pray from here on forward that we'll also believe that there's an abundant life available to me every single day of my life but it's not going to come by me trying harder but by me surrendering everything to you and allowing you to live in and through me so for the person that's here that is struggling I just pray for your joy, your freedom your peace and mercy on their life. We pray that in Jesus' name.